You're listening to episode number 46 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about fasting for weight loss, forms of intermittent fasting, and which are best, and the benefits of going in and out of ketosis, plus more. So stay tuned. Hey, I'm Leanne from HelpfulPursuit.com, and this is the Keto Diet Podcast, where we're busting through the restrictive mentality of a traditional ketogenic diet to uncover the life you crave. What's keto? Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. All listeners of the podcast receive a free seven-day keto meal plan, complete with a shopping list and everything you need to chow down on keto for seven whole days. Download your free copy at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash keto meal. The link will also be in the show notes for today's episode. Perfect if your daily keto meals have become a bit lackluster, if you're new to keto and a bit lost when it comes to eating what and how much, or thrive on being guided on what to do and when to do it. Again, that's healthfulpursuit.com forward slash keto meal. Let's get this party started. Hey guys, happy Sunday. The show notes and full transcript for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E46. The transcript is added to the post about three to five days following the initial air days of this episode. And any of the details that the guest and I go through today will also be in those show notes. So again, that's healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E46. And let's hear from one of our awesome partners. The show is partnered up with Paleo Valley, the makers of the only 100% grass-fed and finished fermented beef stick. Each stick contains 1 billion probiotic CFUs. We all know how important fermented foods are to the health of our gut and the strength of our immune system. Chowing down on Paleo Valley's fermented beef sticks provides your body with all of the beneficial bacteria it loves in one convenient little beef stick. Their gut-friendly sticks are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, freaky chemical additive dye and preservative-free, as well as being 100% free from carbs and sugar and made with the highest quality ingredients. Exclusive to listeners of the show, receive instant savings of 20% off Paleo Valley fermented beef stick snacks by going to paleovalley.com forward slash keto. And if your jaw is just tired thinking about beef jerky, it's worth noting that these tasty treats are not tough at all, but moist with a little snap. The summer sausage flavor even tastes like those hickory summer sausages, but without the gunk seriously delicious. Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash keto for an instant 20% off savings. If you have an idea for an episode or you want to submit praise over and above the review, which you can leave by going to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash review, you can reach me at info at ketodietpodcast.com. Super important that we get those reviews. If you've been listening to the podcast for a couple of episodes, I would love for you to head on over to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash review. Leave your review. Leave me a couple stars. That would be amazing. That way more people can find the show. So I have one announcement and it's a super exciting one. If you haven't heard already, I'm going back on tour for my book tour. This will be the second leg of the tour. We're going to all sorts of places starting on August 29th. There'll be New York, 
Dallas, Austin for KetoCon, which I'll be speaking at, Denver, Colorado, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Los Angeles. Then we pop on over to Canada for Winnipeg, Ottawa, Montreal, and Balzac, which is right outside of Calgary. A bunch of other cities are still being determined. So head on over to ketodietbook.com forward slash tour. The link will also be in the show notes where you can RSVP. There's a couple of events that are getting full to capacity already. So definitely if you're thinking about going or even bringing a friend, head on over to ketodietbook.com forward slash tour to RSVP and reserve both of your spaces. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Vandersheldon, who is a passionate advocate of natural healing and wellness champion and a visionary who has implemented much needed changes to our current health care system. Dr. Mike, as most people call him, is one of the most sought after nutrition and exercise experts in the marketplace. He is famous for implementing and mastering lifestyle changes like intermittent fasting and high intensity interval training, which maximize health and function. As a frequent lecturer, he continues to educate on important issues, emphasizing that there is much more to health than treating symptoms of disease. With all the profit-driven websites, magazines, TV ads, and other publications offering health advice, It's not always clear who to trust to get the life-enhancing health information you deserve and desire. His sole motivation is to provide people with the best relevant and accurate health information possible so that they can reach their goals of living the best and healthiest life possible. So my chat today with Dr. Mike was awesome. I can't wait to cut on over to the interview. A couple of notes I wanted to share with you before we get started. The first one is if you have questions about fasting for women specifically, we didn't totally get into that. I wanted to have the focus in this episode a little bit different, but if you're looking for fasting for women specifically, head on over to episode 37 of the podcast. You can access that from any podcast app that you're currently listening to this episode on. Or you can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E37. And a couple of other notes. If you're not too sure what fasting is, we didn't get too much into it. So if you're new to fasting and you don't understand what intermittent fasting is, intermittent fasting is basically where you go a longer period of time without eating. The way that I see it is intermittent fasting is anywhere between 16 to 24 hours without eating. And then usually you have an eating window. So say you are fasting for 16 hours, you would have an eating window of eight hours. So six 16 plus eight is 24, or you could have a fasting window of 20 hours and then have a feeding window of four hours. So that would be called 24, which also equals 24. And then you could also go as long as 24 hours and then just go back to the way that you were eating before. So that's kind of intermittent fasting in a nutshell. Another thing we talked about on the episode is, you know, fasting every day. And while Dr. Mike really thrives on that, and that works really good for himself and his clients, if you have found a different method as I have for fasting and you thrive really well on three, sometimes four times a week or whatever that case may be, you just go on and rock your bad self and do what you need to do and what feels good. And the last and final thing is that we briefly mentioned testing ketones with breath. So if you're curious about what I was talking about when I was talking about testing the breath and the level system, I will include a link in the show notes about level. It's a new tool that I've been using the last couple of weeks to test my ketones via breath. Kevin's been uh, getting into it a lot more than I have because I don't really totally enjoy testing personally. I find it very triggering for me. So if you want more information about level, head on over to the show notes. It'll be there. 
I will have a video on it very soon on my thoughts about it. It can be a little bit costly, but in the end ends up saving you money. So it just, it depends what your priorities are, but let's cut on over to the interview because lots to cover and I hope you enjoy it. Hey Mike, how's it going? It is going fantastic. Lovely day today in Southern yes. California. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. I love it there. Okay, I lied a little bit. It's overcast, but we're going through some <laughs> June gloom, but usually 75 degrees and sunny every day, so I can't complain. <laughs> oh, amazing. I think it's about 85 degrees here. I'm in Canada, so I always have to do the conversion quickly in my head, but it's hot today. Wait, it's warmer in Canada than here? Yeah. Psych! No, yeah, oh. this is a real thing. No, I'm totally kidding. It is actually this hot today. <laughs> wow, that's it's, impressive. I know, right? I, everyone thinks we live in igloos, but it's not a thing. <laughs> it's actually quite hot sometimes. That's um, a myth, igloos? <laughs> yeah, right. I've had that. I've actually had people ask me if I live in an igloo, like for real. <laughs> so oh no, gosh. I do not. It's a real house, just like what they have in Southern California, probably. <laughs> what What city are you in? I'm just outside of Calgary in okay, Alberta. Cool. It's about a four-hour drive from Great Falls, Montana, if people are okay. wondering. Well, I'm familiar with BC a lot. Go to BC. Just got back from Whistler a couple months ago. So Beautiful I'm familiar with place. Canada, just not Calgary. It's a great place. If you like oil and gas, <laughs> there's, there's not much else going on here. So why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I grew up always in the um, health and fitness uh, field with the primary interest and just kind of doing something exercise and diet based. And I kind of, you know, stems from my interest all the way out through high school and went to college in Washington State. That's where I'm from, you know, Seattle area. So got my undergrad there with a Bachelor of Science degree and, um, you know, pre physical therapy, kinesiology. And then I uh, moved down to Southern California. I just was kind of sick of the gloomy days and the, the darkness going on. I was just ready for uh, some nice weather. I came down here and, um, you know, working as a trainer for a little bit. But then I really found my calling. I wanted to go in the health field, but I didn't want to be that typical allopathic medical doctor not that just prescribe medications because I already know we take all these medications more than the next six countries combined yet rank nearly towards the end of you know health among developed nations so it's clear that the drugs are not you know making us healthier so I wanted to do something natural to basically fix people's physiology to get them healthy instead of just putting them on drugs for the rest of their life and monitoring symptoms. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because you've done a couple of videos on fasting and I've watched them and I'm like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. I like this. We need to have him on the show. What is your kind of your stance on intermittent fasting? Because we chatted about it a little bit before we started the recording, but I'd love to kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about today and kind of get your overall experience with it and where you feel it's beneficial just right off the bat. Yeah, I mean... There's countless studies on continuous fasting, fasting for an extended period of time. You know, and I wrote a lot about those in my book, The Scientific Approach to Intermittent Fasting. But the studies are undeniable. And then also, too, it's not just like studies. It's also just looking at natural populations of people fasting for religion, you know, or for Ramadan. They're doing pre and post blood marker tests. And just by those intermittent fasting, pretty much, they're basically doing an intermittent fast. You know, they're not eating during the entire day when it's light. Then they're eating at night. So that's basically a natural study done on these populations. And the results are magnificent. And that's just from just taking a break from eating during the day. It's not telling you to go five days without eating. It's just taking a break. And I've read these studies. I saw that. It piqued my curiosity. I started doing that. And I, 
I probably implemented it myself doing it daily for probably the last five years or so, doing it every single day, not missing a beat. And I, I just haven't looked back. And then one thing that I love about the intermittent fasting approach, and you know, typically it's the 16-8 method. I do more of like a 20 to 4 type of method where, you know, basically taking a break from eating for 20 hours, eating for four, but I kind of mix and match my time uh, ratios there a little bit, but it just works so well for me and it's worked so well for patients. It's easy to implement. And so it just became like my go-to intervention for people trying to get a boost in health. Awesome. And what kind of benefits have you experienced personally or, or benefits that you've seen with your clients? So let's, so for me personally, you know, I've always been a fit person, someone who's eating, you know, real food, paleo like foods, but the intermittent fasting, you know, and with my really busy schedule, it's simplified my schedule. First of all, I have to worry about one less meal a day. I don't start my day off eating a huge breakfast anymore. And that changed. And because, you know, a lot of times too, after a big breakfast, you kind of get that food coma in the morning and feel lethargic. And so I'm a super early riser. I'm up at 4am every day and I get my most, you know, have my most mental clarity in that fasting period in the morning. And that's what I noticed the most. I'm able to do so much work with just a clear head and the, you know, just with this massive brain function. And I just haven't looked back since then. So I noticed this massive mental clarity, not to mention my physique has been a lot leaner as well as just, it seems like I'm able to just be, you know, become more cut with a lot more ease, if you will. And so I love that. And then going on from that to my patients, Patients lose weight dramatically under this method because they're constantly in feast mode, you know, throughout. I mean, what's a typical nutritionist going to tell you to do? Eat every two and a half to three hours. Start your day off with a big breakfast and then eat small meals throughout the day, you know, six small meals a day. And they don't have a whole lot of science, if any, to back those claims up. But yet you learn that in school, part of your curriculum, you learn all this stuff. And that whole theory is to avoid starvation mode, which is honestly a pretty big myth out there. And it's good to kind of debunk that. Yeah. And really scary too, when you start eating this way and you're fasting, you're like, wow, I feel so much better. And then you feel like I've been lied to for the last 30 years. Um, it's, it's so true. And it's like, when you say it's called fasting, but really when you do this method, it's like skipping one meal a day. So it's really not that extreme. <laughs> You're not saying go a full day without eating. It's just narrow your eating window a little bit. Totally. And so I think a lot of people are asked or, you know, get confused and, oh, this is so extreme. This is easy. It really is easy. You just got to give it a chance. You know, if your body's expecting a huge meal first thing in the morning because you've trained that way for 20 plus years, however long it's been. Well, guess what? When you wake up in the morning, your body's going to expect a meal. So you kind of have to go through that transition period as if you were doing anything, whether you're quitting caffeine or anything. You got to expect a transition because your body was expecting that pattern for so long. Yes. I'm so happy you said this because I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to and they've been eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, two, maybe three snacks a day. And then that was on a Sunday for the last 30 years. And then they decide on Monday, they're going to just start fasting and they try to go until 5 PM without food. And it's like, no guys, it's like baby steps, like try to remove the snacks first and then, you know, increase your fat so that you're not as hungry and, you know, then remove the breakfast. So I'm really happy that you brought that up. And also too, with the baby steps, something that you said previously is that you do this every day. Do you have to do it every day? Do you find to get those benefits or like for myself, I fast maybe three times a week and I find that that's where my body is best. I know that a lot of people probably heard that and thought, okay, so now I need to fast every day to 
get on, in on the benefits? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a ton of different, you know, intermittent fasting methods. You know, you could do um, the 5-2 method, fast for, you know, two full days and the other five days are normal. You can do the alternate day fasting. To me, I just like the daily because I like to create patterns in my day, in my weeks. And if you become, if you have like a cyclical pattern that you do each and every day, it becomes easy and you start doing things in autopilot. But if you have like, if you're going to go like a alternate day fasting, to me, that's too sporadic. And for a lot of my patients, it doesn't kind of work with their behavior because they need consistency. And so it tends to be a more of a long-term lifestyle change when you do it daily than being so rapid with all these changing things going on in our environment. So I just like to keep things steady, consistent. And I feel like that way kind of engraves in human behavior to really keep this method going for long term because it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. That's what I always like to say. Yes, totally, completely. More on my interview with Dr. Mike after this message from one of our podcast partners. I love being Canadian, the home of the true North strong and free, but gosh, I'm pretty jealous of you all in the US because you get access to Thrive Market while I'm stuck with limited access to the abundance of health foods that you all know and love. We have 14 day shipping and everything's really expensive and forget about free shipping. That's always out of the question. For all of my pals south of the border, my friends at Thrive Market are offering you 35% off your first box of groceries plus free shipping and and a 30-day trial so you can reorder your favorites a couple of weeks down the road. Imagine spending only $9.95 as opposed to the $20.99 on raw cacao powder, or $15.65 as opposed to $24.99 on MCT oil if you go to a retail store. So on top of their everyday wholesale prices, the extra 35% off your first box of organic and non-GMO products plus free shipping is going to make a regular $100 grocery run into about a 50 maybe $75 Thrive Market order for the same amount of things. You can go to thrivemarket.com forward slash HP to get your instant 35% off and this offer will expire in a couple of weeks. So if you're on the fence about it, the time is now. Again, that's thrivemarket.com forward slash HP to get your instant 35% off and this offer is available to new Thrive Market customers only and people in the U.S. Wah, wah. So we had a lot of people submit questions. We haven't even gotten to them yet because I just wanted to set the stage. But so let's chat a little bit about fasting for weight loss because you mentioned that fasting can be beneficial for losing weight. What protocol have you found most effective for weight loss specifically within the fasting realm? So I generally will start patients off on the, just the 16-8 method. I'll tell them to skip one meal a day, and usually that meal is going to be breakfast or dinner. You basically got to need to find what eating window works best for you. Now, to be quite honest, to probably get the best physiological benefits, it's probably best to skip dinner. And the reason why I say that is because eating right before bed can actually have devastating effects on your mitochondria. When you give yourself a huge energetic surplus of food in your least energetic state, sleep, that's not a good thing. But with that said as well, it's way easier for most people to skip breakfast versus dinner, which is why I do it. And also too, dinner is kind of like a social activity I do with my family, my wife. And so that's like our at-home dinner. So I don't skip dinner. I skip breakfast. But if you're going for the most benefits, skipping dinner may be the best strategy personally. But um, in regards to that, 
for weight loss, most people just doing, just skipping that one meal a day, just taking a little break off eating, they lose weight very, very fast. Now, most patients and most people out there, they're going to be obese now based on the statistics going on. And so when you have a lot of excess white fat on you, you're going to basically lose weight pretty quickly. And so the intermittent fasting, just this method just seems to be an easy way to implement it and get, you know, almost instant weight loss results. Now, with that said, when people start to taper off with their results, then I get them to go on more of a ketogenic diet as well. So you're combining the ketogenic diet with the fasting. And then that kind of seems to break some of that, basically that periodization and the, the plateaus people get. And then they start to get even more and more results. So before I ask you my next question, I've never heard of mitochondria being affected by eating too late in the day. I would love to find out where I read that, where, where yeah. I can learn more. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite recent books I just read is uh, Fat for Fuel by Dr. Mercola. And basically, your mitochondria are your energetic powerhouses of your cells. They're your cellular battery chargers. And so they're basically, their job is to make ATP for energy for our body. But what happens is if we eat a ton of food, you just generally want to use that food for energy. But our least, our, le our least metabolic state we go through is sleep. So if you eat a huge meal right before bed, you're basically giving your mitochondria all this food to kind of basically, you know, convert to ATP for easier, easier um, energy sources. And it ends up just getting stored because we're not going to be using that for uh, any type of activity. We're sleeping at that point. And so at least if you're going to eat dinner, you know, at least try to wait a couple hours before bed to take some pressure off your mitochondria so they can rest as well. Brilliant. I love learning new things. Thank you so much. I'm totally going to read that book. It's actually been in my recommended things on Amazon since it launched and I keep like ignoring it. So now I'm going to get it. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's great. And it basically, it, it complements everything I've been talking about for years, which is kind of like a, a bias thing, but that's also why I have a very high affinity for that book. But I mean, I like to learn new things as well, but it was really refreshing to hear one of my, you know, favorite mentors of all time, Dr. Mercola, come out with a book that I've been preaching for the last five years. So it's really cool to hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. And so would fasting still be beneficial, say, for digestion and even weight loss if you're not in ketosis? Because you mentioned, and I know fasting is so much easier when you're in ketosis. It's just a natural progression. But have you seen uh -huh. people do the fasting thing without being in ketosis? I have. And so again, like with the intermittent fasting, you know, in general, when you're just looking at, you know, digestion of food. So when you consume a meal, you know, say just um, a meal with all your macronutrients, you're going to have an insulin spike, you're going to be replenishing your blood sugar, and you're going to be replenishing your blood glycogen stores. Now, some sources vary, but anywhere from like eight to 12 hours, it takes your body to basically get rid of those glycogen and blood sugar stores for energy, where your body can finally go after its fat stores for fuel. Now with the intermittent fasting, you know, say that you do the 16-8 method, you're basically going 16 hours without eating. And so eight of those 16 hours, especially that second eight hour period of that 16 hour full period, you're going to basically be looking towards more fat as fuel. Now, you're not going to quite get into, you know, clinical ketosis from just this daily intermittent fasting, but you're still going to be kind of changing your metabolic capacity a little bit from glucose to ketones as fuel. It may just go up a little bit, but you're not going to quite get in that full blown clinical ketosis that most people on the ketogenic diet are on. So it does help with that respect. 
That's awesome. And so you chatted a little bit about your eating window and either removing breakfast or dinner. Now, if somebody is doing, well, I want to talk about 24 hour fasting, but also I guess if somebody is just doing intermittent fasting, what I often see in my practice is that people will do intermittent fasting coupled with calorie reduction. Mm -hmm. What's your thought on that? Because like we're talking massive calorie reduction. I've met people that think that they could maybe combine intermittent fasting also with eating like a thousand calories a day and then that will help them lose weight quicker. What's kind of your thought on that as it affects your metabolism and insulin resistance and such? I'm not really a a fan with um, caloric restriction. It just just seems too uh, diety to me too much in that diet fat. And, you know, we all know diets are a multi-billion dollar industry and they're such a huge industry for a reason. People are always failing. And so they're constantly doing them over and over and over again, giving them more and more business. And so I'm more of a lifestyle change. So when you do the intermittent fasting, the 16-8 method, for example, I pretty much let them just eat to when they're comfortable. But again, it's kind of hard to fit your full day of eating into a smaller eating window. I mean, I've had, there's hardly anyone that can eat the exact same amount of food in that shorter amount of time, especially if you have work and stuff like that, that's using up some of your time. And so I actually have seen people naturally restricting calories, but not trying to, Mm. they're still eating till they're full. They're still kind of listening to their body and eating when they want to, or not eating when they don't want to. But again, it's hard to fit your major breakfast and the snacks all into that smaller window. And so people end up kind of restricting calories naturally that way, but they're not really trying to. Yes. Yes, I agree completely. So is it necessary to kind of mix up your fasting protocols? Like you mentioned more of a 16-8 or a 24, or are you more of the thought of, you know, if you commit to the 24, that's what you're doing. That's what's best. Mm -hmm. I switch it up because I find that if you can narrow that eating window even more, I feel like you'll get even better results, especially uh, more fat burning results, more growth hormone secretion. And basically, you're able to kind of like purge a little bit of those cancer cells out of your body from the autophagy you're stimulating, um, kind of the recycling of your body and regeneration. But I tend to, the 24 works good for me because now that I've become fat adapted, I'm not that hungry all the time. And a lot of times when I eat, I do get an associated little like tiredness or food coma afterwards. And since I like to be productive during the day, the 24 method works really good for me. Now, if I have a long day of work and I know that I'll sometimes I'll just do the full eight hour method where if I have to eat at lunch and then dinner, that turns into an eight hour window. But in generally, I like to restrict it as much as possible for me. But that doesn't have to be for everybody. Interesting that you mentioned the tiredness after food. Why do you think that is? I know that when I was fasting quite considerably, I was doing mostly 20 hours fasted, four-hour eating window, um, that I would get extremely tired after my meals, like to the point where I would have to do it in the evening when I knew I didn't have to work. Otherwise, my brain would be kaput. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is like once you eat something, your body is now dictating its energy for metabolism. And it's not necessarily for having a brain that's going to be well-functioning and doing tasks. So it kind of shifts your energies into kind of storage mode versus kind of using your energy for, you know, doing everyday tasks. And so that's why I feel that you get this food coma a lot. And, you know, to me, I I just, it just kind of ruins my routine of my day when I, when I eat too much in one meal. And so I just try to avoid that. And the intermittent fasting is a great way. And dinner tends to be uh, one of my bigger meals with resolve. I also try to eat at least two hours before bed so I can avoid that taxing on my mitochondria. 
Brilliant. And so there's a lot of confusion around fasting, <laughs> like mm-hmm. a lot of it, especially as it relates to quote unquote eating during your fasting window, but still fasting. For example, people drinking, I mean, this is just a random example, but like Coca-Cola, like Diet Coke or having coffee with butter in it. What's kind of your stance on quote unquote eating during your fasting window, but still fasting? <laughs> yeah, right. Or the juice fast, the bone broth fast. There's there's so many fasts out there. Now, yeah. it depends on what your results or what your goals are. You know, fasting in general can basically rejuvenate your entire body. But I think a lot of those benefits, when you look at the research, is because of the suppression of insulin. So that's why I do think a coffee or a bulletproof coffee, you know, people like, you know, it's such a popular word now, but that coffee with those healthy fats in there, I do think that's a good thing because you're not giving yourself any carbs during that morning. Now, I'm not saying do two tablespoons of coconut oil, two tablespoons of butter. I do like a half tablespoon of each. So I'm not getting really any more than like 300 calories of just pure fat in the morning. But when you have people go on this method, especially if they're eating every two hours, and you say, and most people are coffee drinkers, and you say, oh, but you can do this bulletproof coffee thing in the morning, that gives them like a crutch. They absolutely love that, and it just creates so much more compliance with this. And for me too, I mean, I am a huge coffee drinker, and just for the coffee, I know we're kind of swifting gears, but if you're doing like a juice fast, well, juice fast is purely almost all fructose. Now, it's healthy fructose from a natural food source like fruit, but you're going to be completely elevating insulin doing a juice fast. And so you're not going to be getting some of those rejuvenation effects that fasting can offer. Now, with that said, it can be good to give your digestive system a break and give yourselves a lot of these nutrients from the juice. So it really depends on the goal of doing a bone broth fast, a juice fast. To me, I actually like doing the fatty coffee, but there's a limit for that. Some people do way too much and it gets kind of out of hand, in my opinion. But doing a little bit and giving your brain some of that easily digestible medium chain triglyceride fats to give your energy or give your brain kind of like a boost during that fasting period is it just tends to be very beneficial for me and my patients. Mm, so you're just saying depending on your goals, you can choose different things, bone broth, water, fatty coffee. But I, I mean, I've seen people drop like a thousand calories into one fatty coffee and I'm like, oh girl, yeah, <laughs> like that's a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought you were fasting. That's yeah. not fasting. Yeah, no. totally. So it's just, so you know. Proof. If you're going for insulin resistance, for example, and you're doing fasting, well, a juice fast would not be appropriate mm. for that, obviously, because not only are you taking up the fiber of the fruit, you're also just getting this straight kind of like it's nutrient dense, but there's a ton of sugar there. That's absolutely going to spike your insulin and definitely not help if you're trying to get rid of the insulin resistance, for example, which over 50% of the people now have. And so speaking of insulin and insulin response, there's been a lot of news in the media lately about stevia and its effect on insulin. Have you experienced this? I know like I can eat stevia and it's totally fine with my blood sugar mm-hmm. and all this stuff, but a lot of people are saying that it's affecting them. Have you seen anything in your practice? Um, I heard stevia? like, yeah, and there's also a stevia product called like, uh, I think it's Truvia. Yes. Or something yeah. like that. And so I've heard some negative things about that product. Stevia, you know, in my experience, I found it to be fine for when patients are taking it. I just, uh, it's naturally more sweeter than sugar. And a lot of people are just have this massive sweet tooth that I think even kind of getting off the stevia so it kind of helps reset their taste buds as well and they begin to appreciate real whole foods again you know so i almost don't like to i don't recommend stevia but if they absolutely have to have like a sugary substance or a sweetener i recommend it but i mean for like my coffee for example i just add a pinch of cinnamon and i just don't have that sweet tooth like many people do so i think that 
getting off sugar but doing a bunch of stevia, that's not really going to reset your taste buds. In fact, it'll, it'll, it won't. It'll actually make it worse because stevia is actually more sweeter than sugar, even though you don't have that huge insulin response like you do with regular sugar. Yeah, it's interesting you say that too. I kind of, I don't eat a lot of stevia anymore. Like maybe I'll have it like once every couple of weeks, but I find Mm -hmm. I don't crave as much sugar now than I did when I was putting stevia in my coffee every morning. Like it was just, then I would crave more sweet things. And um, yeah, so I agree with you on that. More on my interview with Dr. Mike after this message from one of our podcast partners. Perfect Keto is a partner of the podcast. Their exogenous ketone supplement is the most effective, best tasting, and most affordable exogenous ketone supplement on the market. Perfect Keto raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimoles, which can be helpful for keto eating warriors who need a boost in mental performance, energy production, fat burning, or to help adapt to the ketogenic eating style. If you're struggling with keto, take their exogenous ketone supplement for a couple of days and you'll be well on your way post haste. Perfect Keto is available in chocolate, sea salt, and peaches and cream flavors. Peaches and cream is my personal favorite, but Kevin loves the chocolate sea salt. Add to water, shake it up, and drink whenever you need. Use the coupon code HEALTHFUL, all in caps, no spaces, for 15% off your Perfect Keto order at perfectketo.com forward slash HP. Once you've loaded up your cart, use the coupon code HEALTHFUL, that's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L, for 15% off your order. Again, that's HEALTHFUL at perfectketo.com forward slash HP for 15% off. And this offer is available to all U.S. and Canadian listeners. And one thing I just wanted to mention is that, you know, you talk about, you asked a question earlier about fasting and ketosis, and is it necessary to be into ketosis? Well, to be quite honest, fasting is one of the best ways to get into ketosis, because ketosis literally is mimicking your fasting physiology by going after ketones as fuel. But the best way to do that is to actually not give your body all this food to get into ketosis faster. So that's why like the protocol I like to, you know, use to get into ketosis is to fast for the first day or two because you can get into it exponentially faster than if you just start eating a ketogenic diet right away. Yes, yes. I've I've experienced that as well. That's how I got my husband into it really quick. I'm like, just don't eat for two days, you'll feel great. <laughs> exactly. But I hear some weird things like you have to get into ketosis first and then you fast. Well, I'm like, I think it's backwards. I think fasting helps you get into ketosis fast. And also, too, you can experiment with exogenous ketones to kind of get through that transition period faster. But the fasting actually is key to get into that ketosis, which is why, too, fasting completely and the ketogenic diet got developed by John Hopkins for um, epileptic children. And their protocol for children entering, you know, their clinic is to fast to get into ketosis. And there's a reason why it starts with fasting to get into ketosis because it speeds up that transition period and it's way, way easier. So I think those two topics get kind of mixed up. They totally do. And I'm happy that you mentioned exogenous ketones. I was actually really, 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 really against them a couple of months Mm -hmm. ago. And then I went on my book tour and started speaking to women one-on-one in person, which is such a powerful experience, so much more than getting an email. And they were just saying like, sometimes it's hard for people to get into ketosis or to fast and, and they really want to get there. But I met one, one woman who had been going through keto flu for a total of six weeks, nonstop. And wow. then she used exogenous ketones and it went away in two days. And then she kept using it for a couple of weeks here and there. And now she doesn't need it. So I think it can be used 
as a powerful tool to kind of get over that hump. But before the book tour, I was like, no, you don't need it. Just fast, just eat keto. It'll be fine. But I see that there is a use in some cases, but I do see them being used in the wrong way. Like, I don't know if you see this as well, but people will think, okay, well, I'm eating keto, but I really want that cake. So I'll just eat the cake and then take some ketones and all will be well with the world. (laughs) Yeah. It becomes a continuous Uh, crutch they always use. And I don't think that's healthy at all. And I think it does help you get to that transition period a whole lot faster, especially when you actually add some MCT with the exogenous ketones because you're kind of giving yourself the precursors and the actual ketones themselves. And I've kind of, just like you, I've kind of of gone back and forth with that concept because I'm not a big fan of taking something in my body that it makes naturally. Yes. With that that said, this is just a short-term thing to really speed up that transition period. And so... For people, because I know ketosis offers so many benefits, but for most patients out there, they're not going to wait through that, you know, multiple week keto flu to get into that because it's going to be so discouraging. And they'll be like, wait, this sucks. This doesn't feel right. Why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Wow. And you mentioned fasting first versus doing keto first. So I... I guess what I wanted to ask is more those people, because there are women listening that have a very blistered relationship with food and they're, they've really been working on encouraging their body and listening to their body. And something that we mentioned a little bit earlier of just, you know, like sticking to your fasting window and and going with it. What do you have to say to maybe women that, or, and even men too, that are listening that, uh, have that blistered relationship with food. Maybe they've been chronic dieters for a really long time, restricted their calories for longer than they can count on their fingers. How does fasting change for those sorts of people who are trying to listen to their body, but also trying to benefit on fasting? Yeah. I think the key, the key with like those people who've just, with these chronic battles with food consumption, I think that, you know, the fasting with the ketosis is going to be huge because they got to become fat adapted. You know, the sugar is such a fast burning fuel that, you know, you get hungry instantly. And it, be, and it so if you're always, always hungry, you're always going to be thinking about food. But I think the faster, you know, and it all stems back to getting in ketosis. I think the faster these women, you know, and men, I mean, definitely I see a lot of men with this type of problem too. The more, the faster they can get into ketosis, you know, we all know that once you're in ketosis, you can go multiple hours without even thinking about food because you're literally just using your stored fat, breaking that down by your liver into ketones to, you know, for fuel. And you, you're completely energized, a constant energy flow, and you don't have to think about that food. So I think getting into ketosis and definitely measure your ketone levels. Don't just assume you're in ketosis. Measure the ketone levels because if you are constantly hungry but you're like, oh, I've done ketosis for this long, then you're probably not in there because you haven't checked. So I think that the ketosis is really the magic bullet for that. How do you test your ketones? I always like to ask people, like, what's your go-to? Oh, yeah. So I was totally – I used to advise the urine strips – Definitely not anymore. I think that is the worst thing to do because some people in ketosis don't excrete much ketones in their urine. Some do. And so people can get, you know, false negatives, false positives. And so it, and to me, I was getting a lot of false readings too. I think the best method is the precision extra tool by Abbott. And, uh, you buy these keto strips. You, uh, it comes with like a blood pricker, everything. You just test your blood, put it on the strip. It measures your blood levels to the exact uh, millimolar. So that's, I think, is the best way to do it. And it's super easy. 
Have you heard of the level breath analyzer of ketones? I just got one. I haven't mm-hmm. tried it yet, but I just wanted to ask, like, have you heard of this? I heard of it, and it measures the acetone, correct, yeah. in the breath. And I think that's good, but I think beta-hydroxybutyrate is more abundant that's used in your body. And so I think that when you have a blood test measuring your beta-hydroxybutyrate levels, you know, in my experience, I just feel like that's super easy. And I know that beta-hydroxybutyrate is the primary ketone we use as fuel. So... I think that that way might be a little bit more superior than the acetone breath analyzer, but I certainly think the breath one is better than the urine strip. Yeah, yeah. On a scale, urine is bleh, breath is okay, and blood wins every time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because you can't, you know, the blood doesn't lie. Mm, totally. <laughs> That's what I like to say. It's yeah. so true. It I does mean, not. If your blood's negative, then guess what? You're negative, 100%. Mm, yeah, <laughs> cool. I like that. And so there's a lot of people that have some health imbalances or, and want to try fasting. Do you adjust your fasting protocol if a client works with you that maybe has adrenal dysfunction or Hashimoto's or insulin resistance? Yeah, I, I, I do. I'll, I'll tend to, uh, I'll tell them to instead of starting with the 16-8 method right away, you know, we start in baby steps. So I just say instead of eating first thing in the morning, which they've been trained to do, just start to delay it a few hours, you know, or, you know, 30 minute increments, you know, every, you know, day or every week, just kind of work baby steps your way up because, for these kind of people, starting one day off right away, not eating breakfast, it can kind of just like trying to get into ketosis and going through that transition period, kind of just uh, demoralizes them because they can't commit to something like this that's making them feel so bad. And so I think for all these thyroid issues and stuff, which is a whole nother topic, but I just think that uh, starting in like this most baby step as possible, but working your way up to that 16-8 method is going to be fantastic, but you just don't do it right away. Would the same kind of apply for low testosterone or low progesterone? I know that my experience when my hormones, my sex hormones are low, fasting mm-hmm. doesn't work as well with my body and my hormones. But if my, I've seen where hormones are higher, like high progesterone, high progesterone or anything like that, that it's actually beneficial to fast or what's your kind of thought on people that have wonky hormones when it comes to yeah. fasting? Well, it seems like, you know, based on the literature that you have insulin and, you know, for instance, growth hormone, and they're kind of indirectly related. So when we can suppress insulin, we're going to raise growth hormone. And when we, and fasting definitely shows so much research in the ability to raise growth hormone, which in turn can affect our testosterone, progesterone, everything, both males and females. And so I do find that fasting, not necessarily long-term, but especially with the intermittent fasting, it actually shows very positive benefits on hormone levels for that. Cool. Awesome. And is it true that the longer you fast, I guess we are, you kind of answered this question more of like, if you have adrenal dysfunction or thyroid issues, can fasting potentially harm these organs that are already weak and sad? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so if you have like adrenal fatigue, I don't think that doing a ton of bulletproof coffee is going to help. That's actually going to just tax your adrenals even more. Because of the caffeine, right? Exactly. Yeah. And this is constant caffeine. And then um, also too, that's why some people will notice without eating, they feel like they have these like tremor type issues. And I think a lot of that actually stems from the caffeine consumption. You know, a lot of people who aren't doing the caffeine or, you know, if that's the case or they feel kind of weak, just having a, um, just like a a good pure fat source, like a half avocado or something would be definitely beneficial for that. Just as long as you're not spiking insulin. Because again, I do think that a lot of these benefits stem from keeping insulin low. 
So aiming at foods that keep the insulin low is basically going to help with every single thing else going on. Because once you work on insulin, you're going to work on every hormone in the body. Insulin's like that signal molecule. So once you lower insulin, almost every other hormone in your body and every other organ starts to kind of work better. Is it fair to say too, like I know that if you have too low of insulin, that's also not a good thing. It's not a good thing, which is why I don't recommend continuous ketosis. And I know I said it, and you got the keto podcast, and I'm dun, sorry. Dun, 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 dun. No, uh, no, let's not, let's go there. I love it. I'm not a I'm not a continuous guy, and I don't think that's what we're made for, you know. And it all stems back from our ancestors. They would go and they would go hunting for three, four days without any meal in their body, but they were still able to hunt effectively because they were in ketosis. But then what happens is, and when they finally catch their game and they get a bunch of food gathered up, then they would go into feast mode and they would get out of ketosis. So they literally used both of their metabolic capacities using glucose as fuel and fat as fuel in a cyclical fashion. And I totally think that's what we're made for. Our body does not like to be in the same state forever. That's why we sleep. That's why we wake up. That's why we do high intensity interval training, periods of high intensity intervals, versus periods of rest. So I think our body likes these different states and our body has these different metabolic capacities because they should be used. Both of them should be used. And so especially after like a period of strength training, I do think fruit is good. Fruit in proportion. And so I think going a full day in a, or a you know, many, many years in this continuous ketosis state and so avoiding all fruit and everything I, and lots of vegetables for that matter, I don't think that's healthy. But I couldn't that, agree with you more, and I've never had a guest on that said that, and I just, we need to have you on every week. <laughs> and I, I have a protocol I do with the cyclical ketosis and how to get into it and out. And right now, me and my wife do it actually once a week for a three-day period. We'll get into ketosis, and then we'll go back out. But especially, you know, in those days I'm in ketosis, I don't do a whole lot of major strength training during those days. But then once I'm off of it, that's when your body's getting the benefits. And so... For example, I mean, you could talk about the mTOR pathway, which is a whole nother discussion, but super, super interesting that I'm very passionate about. But so there's a whole of these, there's all these things associated with ketosis and fasting that just spike my curiosity and I get too excited and I talk too fast and my mind is all over the place, but it's just so important to do it cyclical in my opinion. And that's also too why I did that, you know, I kind of talk about that in my book and also too Dr. Mercola with his Fat for Fuel book. It's exactly on point with everything I've been saying. Yes. And it's so nice to speak with somebody that agrees on that. Um, it's something that I've been practicing. You know, I did six months hardcore keto, didn't um, cheat once and I felt like garbage. <laughs> I did not feel good. And I started dealing with a lot of issues. And now that I have that cyclical practice, I'm on top of the world. Like every doctor said I would never get my menstruation back. That's been back for almost two years this September and ovulating and everything. And it's because I, I'm always changing that state of my body. And I think if those listening who are like, how, what, I don't even understand, very much in line with the daily fat burner, fat field profile, or even the adapted fat burner, full keto profiles I share all over in fat fueled and the keto beginning, or sorry, in the keto diet, on my paperback, I talk about that very thing of the cyclical practice and the benefits that it can bring. So yeah, yes. and that's huge. And if you're, but if you're like severely obese, you can obviously stay in ketosis for mm. a little bit of an extended period of time because you're obviously going to go into a massive fat burning state in ketosis. But just know that's not going to be in the state you're going to be in forever. And some people think that, and they do it. You know, some people do it for you know months and months and months. And I don't think that's good because a lot of the benefits you get is during that refeeding 
stage. But also, too, you can't get to those benefits of refeeding until you go through those benefits of fasting and ketosis. So it it all kind of prepares you for these refeeding phases and all those benefits you get from that. And I guess it would depend how long you stay in ketosis based on what your goals are. Because I know people listening that just heard what you said, they'd be like, okay, so like how long is too long and when should I refeed? And they want like the details of like step one, this, step two, this. Can you give any insight as to what they should do? Yeah, so the first thing you got to do is you have to train your body into getting into ketosis because that whole kind of metabolic pathway, it kind of has a muscle memory. The more you're able to get into ketosis, the easier it is. So for me, I can literally get into ketosis in 24 hours now, which is very, very nice. But for some people, it can take two, three, four weeks. So your first step is to just get into ketosis. And so when you're getting into ketosis, your first step, we got to get to that metabolic flexibility to actually reach that state. I like to fast for the first day doing the exogenous ketones with the MCT oil powder. That's what I personally use. I use Quest MCT oil powder. I mix those and I do two to three drinks of those a day. And that's it for the first day. And then the second day, I still do that intermittent fasting where it's the 16-8 method, for example. But during your eating window, you're just eating those ketogenic foods. And I tend to, for me, I don't do that exogenous ketone drink beyond the first day because that gets me into ketosis right away. But for other people, they can do that continuously for a few days until they reach that level, especially if they're measuring their blood levels of beta-hydroxybutyrate, your ketones. And then once you're at that level, I like to stick with it because you're going you're gonna to feel really good once you're in ketosis. It's not, it's not hard anymore. And so once we can reach that metabolic flexibility of getting into ketosis, then I recommend roughly a three-day period once or twice a month going into ketosis and going out, going in, going out. Now, I do it once a week, but some people that's a little bit too extreme. So for most people, I recommend a two-day, three-day period each month. Cool. I like it. Awesome. And let's get into more of the specifics of fasting because we chatted about a lot of things, but I think people have questions about like how to do stuff. So what are are the best foods to break a fast? Do do you care about that if you're only doing more of the intermittent fasting where you're having, you know, a 20 hour fasting window or is it kind of just whatever you want? (laughs) Yeah, I think anything over like, you know, two or three days, I think it becomes important uh, what you're introducing your first meal. And during the refeeding stage, but during the intermittent fast, I typically always, I typically always break my fast with bone broth and a smoothie. And so it's just kind of like easy and the smoothie is going to have some superfoods, some raw cacao powder, maca root, collagen, Great Lakes gelatin with like a um, frozen green banana just to have more of that resistant starch versus the simple sugar. And so it's something just very easy and whole food, but I don't think you have to complicate it too much, especially if you're just doing the intermittent fasting, the daily one. I think when you have longer fasting periods, that becomes important where you don't want to eat too much. To me, avocados are just my go-to. I mean, I consume two avocados a day. It's just like, that's my crutch right there. So to me, that's always always a good answer. And then after that avocado, if you're still hungry, keep going. But I think that's a good way to start. And if you've gone through like a three-day or longer fast, usually after like, if you have like an avocado right after that to introduce read back, you're kind of like, you don't really need to eat anymore beyond that just for a little bit of time period. Just kind of let your body like, okay, this is the food. Let it take its time, digest that food instead of going all in and eating like a 1500 calorie meal. Yeah, I've done that. It really sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fun. I'll never do that again. Yeah, it really isn't. And how should people deal with like medications or supplements that require food if they're fasting? 
you know, we mentioned probably the best meal to cut would be dinner. So in that case should be okay. Cause most medications are in the morning, but what if you need to take food with your medications? How do you manage that? Well, again, the best meal to skip would be dinner, but it's just not practical for the majority of people. So most people do the breakfast, you know, because dinner is a very social activity where breakfast is not. Breakfast tends to be just kind of on the go thing. But with that said, I usually recommend, you know, any type of supplements, medications during your first meal of the day. Because a lot of times when you're taking um, any type of pill on an empty stomach, you, you kind of feel that nausea feeling. And that's just kind of like that, that sickness. And a lot of the supplements and stuff, you know, vitamin D, effects, et cetera, they're fat soluble. So you want to take it with, you know, a fat or some food to improve the absorption, you know, but things like, you know, vitamin C or, you know, iodine or something like that, those are easier to take during the um, fasting period. But to keep it simple, I would just do everything during your first meal of the day. Unless the medication says take on an empty stomach, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> then do that because then winning. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> and so say somebody has been fasting maybe a couple of times and they're not really sure what they're doing. Are there certain signs that they should watch for that maybe this isn't a good thing for them or that they should probably eat and break their fast? Yeah, to me, that stems more with like the um, ketosis because, Mm -hmm. you know, with ketosis, there's some blood markers you do definitely want to be uh, mindful of. You know, if you see these massive spikes in like, um, for example, triglycerides or LDL cholesterol, first of all, if you have a huge spike in LDL from being in ketosis, then that probably means you're having too much dairy fat, you know, like because it's very, to be honest, it's very easy to eat a, a really gross amount of cheese and stay in ketosis. And so, and a lot of that can, you know, kind of wreak havoc on your uh, cholesterol levels. But if you see your LDL spike big time, I would kind of take out more of those um, dairy fats and maybe uh, change it up to more of a uh, coconut-based milk or something like that, which actually helps. But also, too, if you notice that your triglycerides in your blood is elevated or anything like that, then I just definitely think that ketosis or ketogenic diet is probably not for you because you're just not adapting to it. So I would look at like those two markers for sure. In regards to fasting, I mean, people, you got to expect that you're going to have some cravings for the first one to two weeks. I mean, you really, you're transitioning. You're going from eating breakfast or, you know, whatever meal you're skipping each and every day to not having that. And so you're going to go through a transition period, just like if you're going to, you know, quit anything in life. And so you just got to expect that, but just know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and those cravings will eventually go away. And that's just how your physiology works. You know, you're going to start to become more fat adapted and you're not going to get those cravings. Wonderful. Wow. I could talk to you for like 700 more hours about all the things. Same Um, here. Let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Where can people find you? My website is in the making right now, but that's going to be drmichaelvan.com. Most people find me on YouTube, and that would be just youtube.com slash Dr. Michael Van DC. And, uh, or they can just type in my name, Dr. Michael Vandersheld, and it'll pop right up. Facebook. And also, too, you can find uh, my book, The Scientific Approach to Intermittent Fasting, which really goes into every detail. You know, to me, it helps when you know why something's good for you. And when you really understand the science behind why it's good and how it's working in your body, it becomes way easier to implement. And so to me, I wrote it in layman's terms. It can, it's really good for all uh, levels of understanding with the body because I really go over basic, simple principles of anatomy and physiology in that book. So you can find that on Amazon. Just type in intermittent fasting and it'll come right up. Or So yeah. 
Cool. Awesome. Well, I will include the links to all of the things that you just mentioned, as well as a bunch of different books that we talked about during the episode. You guys can find it at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E46. And thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And also too, if anyone has any questions regarding what we talked about, you can also message me on YouTube and or Facebook. And I always get back to those as well. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> that's really cool. Okay. Thank it you may so take much. A, it may take a couple days, yeah. but I, I will get to it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for offering that up to all of the listeners. Thanks for having me, Leanne. Appreciate it. You bet. And that does it for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Thanks for listening in. You can follow me on Instagram by searching Healthful Pursuit, where you'll find daily keto eats and other fun things. And check out all of my keto supportive programs, bundles, guides, and other cool things over at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash shop. And I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.